Hey, Gavin. Hola, Louis. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, a little Spanish flavor on it. <laughs> oh, the stories I could tell you of white men talking to me in <laughs> Spanish. Uh, I've yet to call you Poppy. I save that for off the air. Thank you. Oh, I no. appreciate that. That's for you and me. <laughs> Personal. Closed doors, okay? Closed. You don't get everything out no, there, guys. Exactly. They already think we're dating, which is weird because we both talk about our significant others. Whatever. People think we're dating? That was that other podcast that advertised us was like, I think they're boyfriends. It's like, oh. no. Um, no it's darlings. Literally, though, I feel like every time I'm out with a man, people think we're dating. Yeah. When me and Shaddy went to like a bar, the strike room was like, oh my God, you guys are so cute together. And I was like, what? We met a new, like, she just met aesthetically. Met, like, <laughs> This, uh, a friend of a friend was like, wait, so you guys are dating, right? And we're like, no. But you guys live together, right? And I'm like, no, what the, f- no. Is that preferable to you than, than people thinking I'm straight? Or thinking you're brothers? Cause Dan and I uh, get brothers a lot uh, and Dan and I do not look alike. I like how you, you were like, not straight. People yeah. don't think that. Yeah, yeah no, no one. <laughs> no Sorry, one thinks Louis. that. No, I will say though, when that. passing privileges. No, not, I, I've told you when I, when I got robbed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy thought I was straight. Gross. The worst part of the that wor- story. The worst part of that story. It was a light robbing. Um, brothers. Uh, well, no one thinks me and Derek are brothers. So that's good. Well, you, they should. I mean, there's nothing like uh, clearly. It's the same thing with Dan. Like we don't. We do not have boyfriend twins. We don't. Right. But, no. But we still get it. We got. We went to when we went to Houston. We went to the Shake Shack beforehand. Before well, getting on the plane, that one was like. You and your brothers. So like, so gross. No, no, thank you. So stupid. No, thank you, ma'am. Uh, was it? You and Dan aren't really, like, hands-holdy people anyway, right? No, not really, no. I definitely am, but it was weird. I know. Please let it go. Please <laughs> let my hand go. Gavin, don't You're let me hurting go. me. <laughs> All right, whatever. Hi, everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mixed Reviews. We are a podcast, a film podcast, where we take an actor... A what podcast? A film podcast. Oh, my God. Those, film, are, those are new. F-I-L-M-E with an accent. Mm-hmm. Accent uh, on the E? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Martin Scorsese says that we are a film podcast, not a theme park podcast. So that'd be fun. A yeah. theme park podcast? Sure. <laughs> um, where we take a film subject, such as an actor, a director, or a film mini genre, and we talk about what's good, and we talk about what's bad, and then we tell you the whole history of it. Yeah, we take two-ish weeks, we watch as much as we can. Oh my god, we watch so much. As much as we can. Me and Gavin were both on vacation last week, so we had to cram. Yep. We did our best, but I think we're we're gonna do okay for this episode. Before we move into this episode, we have some old business. The oldest. The oldest business. Um, Last episode, we talked to our good friend Murtada. Yes. um, Who... Is so smart. Oh, absolutely. I was like, okay, girl. <laughs> I'm learning things. He was a fantastic guest, and uh, I that episode is just, like, burning up the charts. Yeah, so um, it was Murtada helping us talk about um, Kate Blanchett. Yes. Um, Queen of the Screen. Queen of the Screen. Um, we live, laugh, loved her. Um, live, laugh, loved Murtada. I will admit, it was one of the few... Su- not few. There's been some other subjects, but one of the subjects that was hard to let go of. I was like, oh, I could yeah. watch some more. Oh, and yeah. I was like, no, I need to move on. Right. That's what, like, <laughs> the hardest part about this is, like, okay, whew, we're done with this episode. It's yeah. like, oh, fuck, we've got another person coming up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, But, so we asked you guys to go online and vote for your favorite Kate Blanchett movie. And, honey, it this is maybe the most decisive victory um, for a movie that none of us picked. No, but... 
all of us picked in a way. I know, like, literally, we probably talked about Carol the least. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, because everybody knows it's a classic. Yeah. And plus, it's a Christmas season, so. Um, Heaven, which was Gavin's pick, came in at 7%. Blue Jasmine and the Aviator, which was mine and Mortada's pick, tied for 10%. And Carol dominated at 73%. And this poll got over 100 votes, right? Yeah. 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 So, one of, one of our most voted on polls, people just really wanted to, like... Make sure their voice was heard for Carol. Yes, we did also get a vote for um, No Time Scandal. Yes. Which I appreciate. Absolutely. Um, it is the best. Someone mentioned that Carol is the best movie, but Blue Jasmine is the best performance. That, that was from Skylar. I think that's a good... I, I kind of like that, yeah, that delineation. I, I like that too, because um, Blue Jasmine, the, the, the performances are so different. Yeah. You know? Um, and it just shows, like, God, her range. Incredible. Yeah. Um, her mind the, the mind <laughs> there weren't too many divergent off of that no. there weren't too many i mean i think there was maybe one shout out to lord of the rings and oh right, right and we did get somebody being like thank you for talking about heaven which by the way still i know it got last in the poll but the poll doesn't really matter uh, oh. gavin these polls mean everything oh how dare god. you oh my god i'm trump <laughs> like, um relax but uh but please do go watch heaven it's very good yeah, yeah. i liked heaven a lot uh, yeah uh, uh. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah. Kate, we're so sorry to see you go, Mm -hmm. but we have to move on to another sensual subject. Oh, yeah. Oof. Sorry, I'm just needing to... (laughs) So this week's episode is about... Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas. Literally, my friend texted me and said, Anthony Flags! (laughs) And I didn't get it. And then he was like... Antonio Banderas, and I was like, right. <laughs> right, right, right. So good old Anthony Flags. Anthony Flags. Imagine, that's an awful name. Yeah, yeah. That is the worst. It's that's the, not even like a game show host mm, name. Mm, no, mm. no. But Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas. Amazing. It's Iconic. got, yeah, it's got mystery, it's got sensuality. It's yeah. Stuff. So, Gavin, why are we talking about Antonio? Um, have you seen him? <laughs> oh, I, oh, honey, I've seen him. <laughs> um... Uh, we're talking about Antonio Banderas for two reasons. One, um, I've had the largest crush on Antonio Banderas for my entire life. Yes. Um, and so I'm very important to this mm-hmm. podcast. Right. And I think it's good that we do all of my needs. Some might say 30% um, of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's a 32% of this podcast. Thank you very much. Um, but also, uh, he's currently in a new film. Uh, he's in the latest film by Amadovar claimed Spanish filmmaker that we will someday do an episode on, I promise. Um, and it's maybe one of his best performances of his career. Yeah. Uh, the film is called Pain and Glory. I highly recommend you check it out. I know it's not playing. It must be playing everywhere at this point, but it's right. it wasn't a wide release at first. Right. Um, I would be surprised if it doesn't get on some streaming platform soonish. Yeah, yeah. During, like, the Oscar, like, really meaty Oscar season. Um, but yeah, you guys should go check that movie yeah. out. But there is a dog going crazy outside for Antonio Banderas. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, he said, "Wolf, Daddy." <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Silencia Perro. Um, <laughs> and so Antonio Banderas is, I think he's a really interesting subject because I think he is somebody who started out with a really interesting, very strange career. You know, he was a theater person. He moved into films with Almodovar and they're in this post-Franco Spain and they're, you know, they're doing these queer films, these like sort of John Watersy films. And then he comes to America and his, like, he makes a lot of big movies, but essentially, in terms of acting, I feel like he kind of flatlines. And we'll get to that more. Right. But it, I, it's such an interesting career path. So I'm happy to see him. Hopefully, this is the start of a, of a resurgence, uh, of Banderasance, if you will. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I was thinking about, um, other actors we've talked about who are not U.S. natives, yeah. specifically not English-speaking natives. Um, we have Sam Hayek, obviously, who has worked with him before. Yeah. Um, but also thought about like Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. Um, and how their careers, um, compared to his, because I think, uh, it's I think uh, the 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 barrier is even higher for these actors to become successful in the U.S. because. English is not their first language, right? And they're forced into uh, these roles that uh, require so much more from them. You know, they have to like do their craft as an actor, but then also that added like extra, you know. And and he said, you know, he feels stu- he felt stupid for a yeah. long time, um, and people, you know, would look at him funny or think he was very shallow. But because he couldn't express himself. Right. And it's it's really interesting that his first American film he did before learning English. Yeah. Uh, we haven't, we've only addressed that a couple of times. I think the one that I always go back to is Bela Lugosi in Dracula, mm. who learned his lines phonetically. Mambo Kings, which was Antonio Banderas' first um, English language film, was all phonetic. Yeah. He would have to wait to hear Armando Sante finish his lines to know he could give his next line. And part of that was he didn't understand the language, but also Armando Sante was constantly improving. Yeah. So it was very difficult and uh, very complex. I, I remember being on the set and I couldn't understand anybody. I had, uh, we have an interpreter that uh, was talking, the director was talking to the interpreter, and the interpreter with me, I was talking with the interpreter, he with the director, <laughs> things like that. Uh, it, it was, oh my God. I remember the, then Armando Sante. Love to improvise. <laughs> and he started improvising in the scene. It was like, oh my God, what did he say? <sighs> so he started speaking in Spanish. We are Cubans. You have to speak Spanish. <laughs> he is one of the two titular Mambo Kings. Um, and so he has a lot of lines to yeah. learn. That's, that's a lot of work. And to having done. to sing in English too. And, yeah. yeah. And like pretending or like acting, playing the trumpet. Yeah. Um, which I think he does pretty well. You yeah. know, um, there are a lot of music. Um, that's a cute movie. Yeah, it's a cute movie. Yeah. Um, Celia Cruz. Oh, can you yeah. imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, I was getting nervous watching some of his movies because I was like, oh my God, there are a lot of things. His, his time in America maybe has not been spent um to like utilizing him the best yeah and um i was like getting nervous i was like oh my god am i gonna have like a lot of bad fucking things to say about him um but it's yeah it's funny the more i was listening to interviews with him and reading about him you know he says his career has kind of been like this stumbling in the dark yes you know things happened kind of out of nowhere he never had a plan for like 
this big Hollywood explosion thing to happen. And I think he's, there's a lot more there. Um, kind of similarly to, uh, you know, Selma Hayek also. Absolutely. Um, and, and their careers have like paralleled, uh, or married each other, um, for quite some time. It was kind of crazy when I realized that he's about to turn 60 years old. I know. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. And he's still so handsome. Oh, absolutely. So and, charming. And so passionate. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's the other thing that I really love about him is, is he is, Say what you will about the projects that he's been in or has picked, but he's still really passionate about his craft and he still really wants to work with it. Um, there have been some limitations in the more recent years and we'll get to that in the rewind, but I, I think that's why he's such a fascinating character to look at because I think he does, he, I don't think he loves anything as much as he loves acting. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. Well, let's get into our rewind. Antonio Banderas was born Jose Antonio Dominguez Bandera, which is crazy. Where did that last S come from? I don't know. I don't know. I, I like, we've spent two weeks researching this. Could I, I, tell I, have, I genuinely don't have any clue as to what came about from shaping his name in such a way. Yeah, I mean, like... And and it's the, his name is it's not like he like came to America and he decided to change it that right. it appears that way on the Almodovar film so yeah that's wild um, <laughs> but he was born in August tenth uh, nineteen sixty he was born like into Franco Spain mm-hmm. which if you don't know and I certainly didn't because I'm a dumb dumb <laughs> um, <laughs> was a very uh, like totalitarian government yeah. very conservative they had like the super aggressive fucking um, social police that essentially were um you know it was like a dictatorship yeah um and if you were uh gay or doing anything that was like against the catholic church um they were gonna fuck you up yep and it was uh beyond strict like and he talks about how you know everything was just kind of like boring nothing ever happened this guy was there in power and he was like your uncle you know he was Always, Franco, yeah, this is what we have. And so when he died, I started growing into being a man, almost in a parallel way that my country was going from a dictatorship to a democracy. And at that time, you start discovering what the dictatorship was. Then you start seeing what freedom is all about, and then you start just looking back and saying, oh my God, how could I have lived there? without knowing that this thing exists. So it was a time for the whole entire Spanish people to discover a new world, to adapt, to, uh, you know, prove ourselves that we we can be a democratic country, that we can actually decide for our own future. And there was a group of people, among them Pedro Almodovar and some musicians and fashion designers and photographers and people in the world of art of all kind that decide to just break with the past and just create something new. So it was a time of a lot of color, a lot of hope and fun and no restrictions in every possible way and about breaking a lot of, uh, 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 you know, morality rules that were monolithic and very conservative and in our country. And it was, it was a beautiful time. So he was born in Malaga, um, which is a small town in Spain. His, um, so his dad was a police officer. His mom was a school teacher. Um, he 
as a kid was a football player. Um, and he was like going to become a professional um, until he broke his foot when he was 14. And that kind of like stopped all that. I feel like we hear that a lot. That's yeah. a lot of sports people, a lot of like, oh, they were going to be the sports star. And then they're like, oh, I injured myself. Theater it is. Yeah. They're like, oh, fine. I guess I'm hot enough to be a theater person. <laughs> Um, so he was really interested in performing arts and he, uh, formed part of this school, this theater school, um, the Ara Theater School run by Angeles Rubio Arguelles y Alessandri. And, uh, also went to the College of Dramatic Arts there in Malaga. And so he's like a teenager, kind of just like fucking around doing theater. And when he's, uh, you know, grows up like 18, 19, he decides, Hit it! I'm out of here. Um, and he moved to uh, Madrid, um, and stills working in theater. And really, it's like um, he runs into yeah. Amadovar. Yeah, Amadovar is hanging out. Like he walks in essentially to talk to the people in the theater. I was very lucky because I started working with the National Theater at the time. And, and serious plays, well uh, well produced, mm-hmm. and then when they there was a guy that appeared in the theater that nobody knew with a red briefcase. I remember that. And um, I finished the performance and I came out with some of my fellow actors and we were just having a coffee outside. And this guy came to me and says, you need to make movies. And I said, really? And so he was talking about that. He left and I said, who's the guy? He says, well, it's called Pedro Almodovar, they said to me. <laughs> and he made a movie, but he's not going to make anymore. Yeah, doesn't he say he's a romantic you, face? Yeah, you have a romantic face. Almodovar, every time he's heard this story, he's like, yeah, we, I had haters. Yeah, but, I'm yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you would imagine, you know, so Franco died in uh, 1975. Um, and so in the 80s, like is with this movement yeah. is what it's called. Uh, this counterculture is coming to life. The Franco regime is over. Um, things are a lot more open. Um, the pendulum has fully swung the other way. And now there's um, photographers and artists and uh, filmmakers and musicians who are just like ready to fuck. And queers. Queers. <laughs> queers. There are queers. Um, and, and so it was kind of like the perfect time for this like young actor Absolutely. Um, to be in Madrid and to these, these two forces to kind of like meet at this right time. Um, and so Pedro Almodovar casts him in his 1982 movie, Labyrinth of Passion. Five years later, he goes on to be in Laws of Desire, where he literally plays a gay man. Yes. And he talks about like how the this liberation of sexuality really was, you know, kind of eye-opening to him. Like, yeah. he's, he's straight, but he, at such an early age, and, and because of the, like, tyrannical everything in his life, like, just seeing two uh, people of the same gender on screen um, was beyond scandal. I remember when we were going to do Law of Desire, and I was very worried about the gayness of the whole entire script, and, and at that particular time, how my mother was going to see that, or my father, or, you know, how that was going to be perceived. And then I remember he saying to me, Antonio, you killed somebody in scene 21. You don't have a problem with that? And I said, well, no. He said, why, you don't have a problem? to kill somebody in a movie, but you have a problem to kiss somebody in a movie. What is your problem? And that, like, clicked for him. He was like, oh, 
you know, why can't right. two men be in love? Or why can't two women be in love? Which is a huge cultural distinction between what was happening in the U.S. Yeah. Like, all the all the queer stuff that's happening in the U.S., all the gay stuff, all the trans stuff, and whatever, it's happening on the on sort of the underground. And it's, yeah. this is an underground movement, but it's much more in the forefront because it's seen as, like, an artistic... Right. Um, and see, for, like, for me, I can kiss people and kill them. It's, yes, like, absolutely. super easy. Oh, my God. Without remorse. Love murder. Love yeah. making out. <laughs> Live, laugh, murder. Yeah. That's the... <laughs> don't live. Don't don't live. laugh. Murder. No, no live. Um, but so for these for like five years, like these early eighties movies, he's in Labyrinth of Passion, um, Law's Desire, and then Matador in eighty six, yeah. and then in eighty eight, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. So, um, oh, and then also after that, he's in Time Me Up, Time Me Down. So these are like back to back to back to back movies of uh, that are all very queer. Um, very, you know, I mean, this is classic Almodovar. Like, and when I say that, I mean, like, truly, these are his first movies yeah. that are catapulting him and, um, Antonio to, like, Spain superstardom. Yeah. Um, and, and being able to see, um, this vision of Spain through the lens of Pedro and, and it's bright and colorful and fun and free. And what I love that, but uh, also weird. But also very fucking weird. <laughs> very weird. Um, but what I love about that um, Antonio says is, like, his movies were never political. They just are. You know, there's never a moment when it's like, gays need to do this, guys, because we're gay. These people just are. Yeah. The, the transness of these movies just is. It just exists. And there's no, like, you know, very special moment. Yes. Um, and... I love that. It just, it, it, you know, it feels like in a lot of, um, filmmaking in the States, there, there's always a want to like hold the hand of the audience. Yeah. And be like, see guys, gay people are people too. Yes. Very that. And it's like, Bleh. yeah. Cool. It's like, we don't need you to be reminded that we're human. Right. Thank you. Thank you, thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, exactly. Progress. You can't hang a thing of garlic and keep a gay person out of your house. The, you can try. <laughs> That's how you get gays. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, Gavin, how many of these early um, films did you watch? Of the Almodovar films? Yeah. All of them. I've seen all, all of them. I've seen all of his collaborations with Antonio. Um, this is my favorite era of Antonio Banderas. And I know that's like kind of a cop out because he then goes on to make like a billion Hollywood films. But there's and also there's like take the lead right there. Yeah, hello. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. But I, I think Puss in Boots. I think there's we will talk about Puss. I love Puss in Boots, so that's not a negative thing, but we will talk about Puss in Boots. Okay. Um the I th- I think it's the the fresh faceness of him, the yeah. like innocent. I kind of like that in the Almodovar films. He's got a bit of that baby fat still he in his face. Is the most cute yes. in um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Absolutely. The little glasses, the little hair. Absolutely. And I actually really love him in Law of Desire. The look, the like, I don't know. There's just something very, like, I want to give him a hug. Mm-hmm. I just want, I want people to be nice to me. And I feel like yes. that Antonio would be nice to me. <laughs> and it, what's kind of wild is like, at the very, he right off the bat is playing kind of fucking weirdos. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, in... A tiny up, tiny down. He's playing a full, like, oh yeah, psychopath. Tiny know? up, tiny down is such an interesting movie, and I totally get why America was afraid of it. Yeah, 
That movie was the reason why we have NC-17, right? Absolutely. Because Sony Pictures Classics at the time, which I think was Weinstein, um, but they went to the MPAA and were like, you can't rate this movie X. X is porn. And so eventually the MPAA retired X, granted an NC-17. But you know what's really funny? Criterion has since released Time Me Up, Time Me Down, and they were able to release it un- unrated because hmm. they don't have to do their licensing deals through the MPAA. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was funny. I was like, where? What? I mean, uh, and it's literally just that one scene with like her vagina out, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's the scene. She's she's masturbating with a scuba toy, which yes. I love. Which we've all done. Yeah, absolutely. Live, laugh, scuba. Um, <laughs> the... It's just going to overuse that. <laughs> Women on the Verge of a Nurse Breakdown gets nominated for an Oscar. Yes. And um, so he goes to L.A. for the first time for the Oscars. And he's just kind of like nodding and saying yes and hello to everyone because he doesn't speak English. Um, and and this is like prime like 80s. It, it's all glitz and glamour and Hollywood. Yeah. And like and there's no, you know, Internet or and Twitter and stuff. So it's very insular and you're schmoozing and boozing. OK. Um, and he says kind of randomly um, he uh, not even like an agent, uh, uh, a guy who's getting coffee for them, for the movie agent and him tells him, I guess this guy must have spoken Spanish and said, I'll uh, manage you in, in in the U.S. I'll be your manager for U.S. film. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, lol, whatever, sure. Okay, great, love that. And he, they, you know, finish um, uh, the Oscars and they go back to Spain. And uh, little does he know that this guy is actually, like, doing work. And he tells him, you know, you should go to London and meet with this um, fancy um, studio person. And he's like, what for? And he's like, oh, this movie Mambo Kings is being made. And you should really, you know, try out, not try out, well, audition for it. Um, and he thinks, oh, it'll be a movie in Spanish, Mambo Kings. And he's like, no, 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 it's in English, but you'll be fine. Just like, we'll figure it out. It'll be fine. He goes to this meeting and um, the executive quickly is like oh yeah he said it took about a half an hour though and i ended up in london in a restaurant in front of this very elegant man you know and i just kind of faked that i was shy and i speak very little and 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 he just talk and talk and i couldn't understand a word that he said really i was just just saying yeses and yeah yeah and of course of course things like that you know uh, but uh, i think uh, towards the end of the first dish he just realized that i couldn't speak a word of english so because i mean he started just laughing and, and, and if, if this all the whole situation became very funny but for whatever reason he said to me okay uh very slowly he, he explained to me that i should go to new york and do a screen test learning my lines phonetically and i said to him yeah i can do that I, I I can learn that I, as I learn a song from the Beatles. Yeah, I can do that. So that's how I got into American movies. I came here to New York, and I did a screen test, um, several actually during a period of time of three or four days, and I learned my lines phonetically. And at the end, they decided, uh, you know, that they were going to take the risk of using me in the movie as an actor. At the time, there was one actor attached to this movie. And it was Jeremy Irons. Who was he going to play? He was going to play Armand DeSante's role. That's insane. <laughs> so they screen test. They see the chemistry on camera. And they're like, 
one of these things is working mm-hmm. and one of them is not. One of these Latin people <laughs> yeah. was working in this role. And so I love the fact that the director loved Antonio enough that he let Jeremy Irons go and hired an actual Latin person. Now, admittedly, they're both playing Cuban, neither of which are Cuban, no. but like... Fine. But yeah. But we'll also see that like literally Antonio is cast oh, for every he's, yeah, he's Latin a stand role for, yeah. under the sun. Yes. And exactly. they will explain it away however they need to. <laughs> Real quick, small anecdote. Um, one of his first other introductions post uh, the Academy Awards to American cinema is Madonna's Truth or Dare. Yes. And so there's a scene in Truth or Dare where Madonna's talking about how much she loves Antonio Banderas and she goes to Madrid and Almodovar throws her a party. You know, of course, Antonio's going to be there. And so here I am, I'm, I spend the whole week psyching myself up for this party that I'm going to go to and I'm, I've, I've got it all worked out in my head, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make Antonio fall madly in love with me. Only there was this one rather major obstacle that I'd never really counted on. His wife. I've been wanting to meet Antonio for years. I finally get to meet him and he's married. And? That's one of life's little fuckovers. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm just kidding. You're not. And she proceeds to be a total fucking brat about it. Oh, God. And, uh, yeah, the, the entire clip exists online. Truth or Dare exists, you know, as a documentary. Wait, so he was already married to Melanie Griffiths? No. No. His first wife. Previously married. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, and so... But it makes sense, right? Melanie Griffith, Madonna? Yeah, Griffith. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I have this running theory... That America has always seen Antonio Banderas the way Madonna sees Antonio Banderas. Oh, yeah, I see that. That he's just a sexy Spanish guy for us to woo, well, and then we're a little disappointed. Well, literally, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, in the modern sense, like, he has been the Latin lover. Absolutely. Do you want to get into Latin Lover? I think we should. Oh, uh, yeah. Since, since he's made his transition to Hollywood, he does Mambo Kings. Yeah. It's it's a decent-sized hit. Um, He's very good in it, I think. I'll be honest. I, I thought it was a good performance. Yeah, I thought the movie was okay. Yeah, it's fine. Mm-hmm. I thought the I Love Lucy stuff was my favorite bit. Yeah. I'll be honest. It's cute. Um, Desi Arnaz Jr. played Desi Arnaz. Ah, yeah. Didn't know that. So Latin Lover is an old stereotype that goes all the way back in Hollywood, back essentially to... Rudolph Valentino, who himself was Italian, but, <laughs> but, but this, the concept is there's this dark skinned lover who's mm-hmm. going to come in. Eddie Izzard used to have this joke about French people in movies that like British people play villains because of the Revolutionary War and French people because of the Revolutionary War play characters that are like, hello, my name is Pierre and I've come to have sex with your family. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's what the Latin lover is, oh, yeah. you know, and there, there is a French stereotype and there's all these other stereotypes, but the Latin lover specifically is this swarthy man, usually Latin, though that it does extend occasionally to Middle Eastern people. Omar Sharif is considered yeah. part of the Latin lover movement. And, you know, it, it starts all the way back to the beginning of film and goes essentially to a, about World War Two, and then it dies down, comes, has a small resurgence in the sixties and then really goes away until Antonio Banderas comes back and like, yeah. Basically revives this old film trope in which this this swarthy foreign man comes in yeah. to just woo everybody. And I think a lot I mean, clearly a big part of it is physical. Yes. Um, but what I kinda love is like Antonio Banaris has never had like the hot bod. No, not like, really. Not, yeah. I mean, he's obviously an attractive fit yeah. man, but he's not like just 
jacked or anything. Yeah. He's got a very normal, um, uh, attainable, yeah. you know, body. Um, but that face, he's all eyes. Yeah. He's all eyes. Um, and great, like, this great face in general, yeah. you know? But it's truly like he, he has its charm and he exudes it. Um, what's really funny is all the interviews he gives, he does kind of seem very like, subdued and relaxed like you never i never once saw him like as a real human being being like oh i want to fuck right it's only in the movies when they ask him to do it he he can because i mean it's it it looks it seems so easy to him because the way he looks and those big expressive eyes yeah um and he is so suave but i think what i love um while watching his movies i was like oh he's a complete nerd who loves being really fucking silly. Yeah. Like, and, and that's honestly when he's, he's the best. Like, you know, uh, I think most people's introduction to him was probably Zorro, right? Yes. Yeah. Which absolutely. is like the ultimate, like, Latin lover. Yeah. And they play hard into it in the movie. Which is so funny, because I was actually just thinking about the fact that he is, um, in terms of the leading cast, the only Latin person, because his yeah. two other co-stars are Anthony Hopkins and Catherine Zeta-Jones, both of which are Welsh. Um, <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, who famously played a half-black man in yes. um, one of our previous episodes. Yes. Um, and Catherine Zeta-Jones, who literally swindled America into thinking yeah. she was Latin for yeah. the longest time. Uh-huh. We really were like, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, great. Great Latin actress, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, Zeta means um, Z, <laughs> yeah. and Zorro and Z- is Latin, so. <laughs> um, but, I mean, we'll get to Zorro in a bit. So, Mamo Kim's is a is a success. Yeah. Um, and he gets nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars. Yep. And- Jonathan Demme sees him in the movie and decides to ask him to come by to audition for Philadelphia. And it kind of just like snowballs. Um, he, and, and at that same time, he falls in love with Melanie Griffith. Yes. And so all of a sudden, he, and, and he Well, sa- he does a terrible romantic comedy called Too Much, where mm. he meets Melanie Griffith. Well, and so he says, he's like, I thought, you know, Mambo King's going to be this one-off thing. That would be the exception, not the rule to my career. And I would go back to Spain and like, keep living, laughing, loving, scooping. Um, but he doesn't, you know. More people keep seeing him, and and so in Philadelphia, he's not in a lot of it, but no. uh, but his scenes are really great, so good. That movie, I go back and forth on if I like. Like, part of me wants to hate that movie because right. it's a movie about AIDS, starring a lot of straight people by straight people, and right. But it's very tender, very tender, and it and it it does. I think it does a lot more good work. Yeah. Then it does harmful work. Yeah, no, no, yeah, but it could be parasites and infection. I mean, reaction to the ACT. All these are possibilities. We've got to go forward. No, 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 listen to me. He's not going through some painful procedure until we cancel out everything else. Do you know what I mean? Listen, I'm trying to help your partner here, okay? Okay. good? Now, you're not a member of his immediate family. I'm not? I could have you removed from the ER. Really? Look, look, look. He's, he's upset. He's sorry. No, don't apologize for me, okay? Okay, he's he's not sorry. Also, fun fact, uh, Tom Hanks gave him some of the best advice about his voice. Mm. Tom Hanks said that to me once. When we were doing Philadelphia, he says, man, uh, I don't know how much are you going to work in order to lose your accent, but uh, I will will advise you, don't. Because it's one of your features. It's going to become, you know, people will recognize you for your accent. Um, You know, 
uh, is true. I mean, Antonio Banderas' voice is, I mean, like, there, and that's the thing, like, he's got the face and the body, and then, like, the voice and the charisma, yeah. like, and all together, it is this, like, superstar, you know, like, it, it, a star is born. <laughs> um but so he does Philadelphia in 19, uh, 19, I was going to say 1933. Lol. <laughs> True Latin lover. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in 1993. And, and, and that movie was kind of, I mean, was groundbreaking for yeah. its time. Um, it gets tons of attention and he's only in it a little bit as, um, Tom Hanks's lover. Um, but it's so, like, uh, tender. I mean, that's yeah. like the perfect, and that's what I love also about him. And I wish he, he does this in Pain and Glory, but I wish he was in this mode more where he's just soft. Yeah. Because a lot of a lot of the American movies that he's gonna end up making is asking him to be like Lothario yeah. and suave and and, blah, blah, blah. and and hard and the yeah. opposite of soft. There's a lot of them where he's in desperado mode, where yeah. he's just like, right, and he's and he's macho, uh, right. you know, whatever. And it's funny hearing him um, do interviews now, where he says, you know. He uh, a couple years ago had a heart attack, and he yes. he talks about like how he's like, oh, I I I for so long was doing this macho thing, and now yeah. it's just like it's such it's it's such we'll get to the heart attack, but it's such a clear defining yeah. point for modern Antonio, right? Um, we mentioned in a couple other episodes that he's in um, Interview with the Vampire yes. for a brief moment. Oh my god, yeah, he works that wig. He does. <laughs> I love him when he's doing the most. Yes, you know, I don't. I mean, when he's like just being a manly man running around it's yeah. like whatever but like when give him some fucking prosthetics and like a great costume and he will deliver he that is he's one of my favorite things about that movie uh, but I, I like that movie all around but yeah his Armand. Armand Armand yes um in 1995 he uh teams up with Robert Rodriguez um to do Desperado which is part of the um El Mariachi trilogy um we talked about this way back in our uh, Selma Hayek episode yes and, um, yeah, he says that this movie was made for nothing. Yeah. Um, that but, they were, that a lot of times they're wearing their own clothes. The, a lot of the stunts, like one of the, one of the stunts that they did where they, they jumped from building to building was literally just because there was a crane on top of a building. And yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. So he was like, um, that was fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, but we had to do what we had to do. Says, uh, I have learned to read the eyes of many men. And what do you read in mine? Defeat, brother. Mid-90s is when, like, he really takes off. And and is now also kind of very much veering away from, um, you know, these smaller movies. Yeah. And into big, like, blockbuster type things. Um, he's in Assassins with Sylvester Stallone. Which we, uh, I watched for Julianne Moore. Because she's uh, the lead woman in it. And she plays, she's like sassy, sassy. And also what's funny is he is... The one fold that they add to the Latin lover in this because he's the villain is that he's crazy. Uh-huh. So then he's like, that famous gif of him. The like, gif. The gif of him like, ooh. Yeah. Like, yeah. He like, he's on the, in the web and like, it's like enhanced, enhanced. Yeah. And then he like bites his hand yeah. and he's like, mm. I beat you to the buyers now. I beat you to the mark. I'm sorry, but I think I picked the wrong guy to be my hero. Yeah. You know, today's my birthday. Today I become number one. In 96, um, he stars alongside his, um, I don't know, 
uh, former crush girl, uh, Madonna in Evita. Absolutely. Um, Paying those favors back. You embarrassed me in your film. You said I had a tiny penis in your uh, film. She said that? Oh, yeah. Is that man beautiful or what? Wow. Yeah. Honestly, I wouldn't care what kind of penis he has. Oh, me neither. I'm sure it's great. Yeah. Um, any penis will do, on <laughs> Any penis will do. Um and and that's you know, the musical adaptation by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh yes. it's fine. <laughs> it certainly exists. I'm flying adored. So young, the instant queen, a rich, beautiful thing. Of all the talent, a cross between a fantasy of the bedroom and a saint. Um, and then in '98, is they cast it like I can you imagine the like uh, the studio executives being like guys guys hello <laughs> Zorro exactly. like I remember watching Zorro as a child and uh, in the theaters I saw it in the theater as well yeah and I feel like this watch I rewatched the first one and I was like wow this well no one should watch the second one <laughs> th- th- this movie like basically was whatever formula Pirates of the Caribbean mm-hmm. is and uh this is what this movie is also um and le- the mummy is better done than yes. all of those movies yeah but it's all in the same vein of it, like it's, yeah that heritage is there yeah right um the movie is very it's it's th- that thing where they're like we'll kill a random extra security guard member but when it comes to the main guy it's like oh i'll just let you go because yes. story <laughs> My recollection of that film in the theater was the scene in which he cuts her top off mm-hmm. in, the, in the barn mm-hmm. was just so naughty. Not very naughty. Very naughty. Um, <laughs> but I will say, um, the scenes with him and her when they're when they're fencing or fighting with the yeah. sword, it's hot. Yeah, yeah, and it's good. Yeah, like and I mean, they're beautiful. They, I mean, <laughs> like, but they, they, collectively beautiful. But they have they have great yeah. chemistry. I mean, the movie's very dumb. Yeah. Um, and plays on a lot of tropes and nonsensical things. Uh, but them two together are very good. And, you know, for, for better or worse, the like. The dance scene. The dance. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you surrender? Never. But I may scream. I understand. Sometimes I have that effect. And, yeah. and, it, and it's hot. And I will say, um, I read an interview with him saying, you know, he has been cast a lot of times as a hero. And he thought how um, lucky he was to be a hero. In this movie, the villain is blonde haired with blue eyes, yeah. speaks perfect English. And he was like, and here I was with this accent, um, brown skin, and I am the hero. Um, and he says the same thing about Puss in Boots. And he says, uh, you know, over and over again, he um, he knows, like, the weight of what he's doing. And even though these movies are silly, he's very proud of them. Yeah. Because he didn't think that that was possible to be seen. And, you know, to play um, a hero that looks and sounds like him um, and have villains who are stereotypically, like, always the hero. He thought yeah. that was very important to, like... To, to be and to show. No, that's, in Hollywood. A, that's a very astute point. In 1999, he does The 13th Warrior. Yes, where he plays a Muslim. Which is a movie I did not see. You know, I've had years to watch it. 
<laughs> I still didn't. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we did not watch the Thirteenth Warrior. No, we did not. So, um, Sorry. at us if that is your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think it will be, but <laughs> um, this is also the time. I mean, so he he. There is a lot of rumors, conjecture, conflama about yeah. his relationship with um, Alamodovar at this time. Um, how Pedro maybe resented him for going to Hollywood. How, uh, you know, uh, Antonio thought he was just playing games and like, la la la, this and that. Sometimes, you know, in Spain, we say it's very difficult to be profit in your own land. It's just a saying that we say, you know, sometimes. It's yeah. very difficult to be profitable in, in your, your own, own land. land. Yeah, it's true. Antonio locked and loaded is now living a full Hollywood life. He, um, in 2001 collaborates again with Robert Rodriguez to work on the spy kids movies. Yeah. Um, and again, that idea of representation and showing, uh, I mean like in spy kids is very, um, radical in that way. They're, the kids are half white, half Latino. Yeah. And it's, uh, just very like, it is, is. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously thanks to Antonio, but also to Robert Rodriguez. Family, here's what we do. I take the handle on the right. Ingrid, you take the handle on the left. Carmen, handle center left. Uh, Juni, center right. It'll work. It'll work. It's 500 total, Dad. We need one more person. I love Antonio in the... This is for children, but he's silly, he's yeah. funny. He's, he's very funny. He's literally down for whatever. Yeah. Um, and you can tell he's just so comfortable with, you know, Robert and those kids. And uh, Robert Rodriguez is really playing with that Latin lover idea, mm-hmm. uh, where he's, like, so suave and so handsome. You know, he is a James Bond, Lothario type, who's just, but also, like, he's a dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he cares about his kids. And yeah. He just, you know... And I and I I like that concept, and I think I don't know those first two movies are a lot of fun. Yeah. I have a I have a twenty one year old niece who w- was once not twenty one, and so I've she, seen those first two many a time. She was once a spy kid. Yeah, she um, certainly was. What their names of the kids were really funny. One was Junie, I yes. believe. I don't remember the other That's one. The boy though, right? Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's like a fun like dramaturgy of like his name's like a Latin thing of then like. Like, my, my name is Luis, but, like, yeah. my parents call me Louis. Yeah. And, like, I wonder if there's, like, a fun, like, his name's, like, Eugenio, and they call him Juni. Like, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. <laughs> I love that. Um, he also is in God Help Us, Original Sin. Mm-hmm. And that is a movie that it I... Stars two sexy people. <laughs> the end. <laughs> I will say I appreciate for his butt. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of butts in that movie. A lot of Angelina Jolie. Um, a lot of twists and turns and uh-oh, what's going to happen? I just remember when that movie came out and the whole thing was just like the sexiest people alive and they put them together in a movie. Then we have something in common. We are both not to be trusted. Of course, if my, if my deception has altered your intentions... If you are not interested in marrying a wealthy man. No, I think I could manage. <laughs> she had such a cra- like a crazy, uh, mostly um, played up by the press, but like such a crazy like, oh, she's nuts. And she, yeah. you know, she kisses her boyfriend at the, or she kisses her brother at the Oscars too close away. She has a vial of blood. Yeah. And they're like, Antonio Banderas is this hot. It was such a weird press cycle and then i remember the movie coming out and it just being like a complete like 
Yeah, and the movie, I mean, they must have been like, we're going to keep the longest fucking takes of them having sex and try and show us... Because they, they show a lot of uninteresting sex scenes. Yeah. Like, it's just them, like, laying on top of each other and just kind of, like, starfishing. <laughs> um, hot. <laughs> um, so that's a movie that happens. He's in uh, Femme Fatale um, with Rebecca Romaine. Yeah. Brian um, De Palma, one of Brian De Palma's like last really good movies, in my opinion. And um, he's also he's a small part in Frida with Salma. Yes. Um, and uh, in 2003, he stars in uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, uh, with- including the Mariachi trilogy. Yes. Mariachi. And then he, <laughs> you know what happens next? In 1999, he directs his first movie. Yes. Um, starring his then wife Melanie Griffith. Did you get a chance to watch this? Absolutely not. I hear, <laughs> I hear, oh. I hear it's crazy. I love it. It's I, called it's crazy in Alabama. Yeah, it's bad. Okay, I'm willing to concede this. Mm-hmm. It's this movie in which Melly Griffith. It's actually a coming age story for Lucas Black, who's very young in the movie. Um, Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drifts, Lucas. Of Black, course, of course, of course. Of course. Um, and, Classic the Criterion Collection. <laughs> and he has to move in with a relative because his parents die. And while this is going on, his aunt is with an abusive husband and she wants to go out to Hollywood and her husband won't let her and he's awful to her and so she kills him, mm-hmm. removes his head, right, puts it in a hat box and proceeds to take a road trip to Hollywood all the while her dead husband's head still talks to her. How did he die? I mean, if you don't mind me asking. I'll kill him. Well... <laughs> I guess that fixed his little red wagon. Mm-hmm. He's following me, though. I mean, not him. It's his ghost. Only it don't sound like a ghost. It sounds just like him. Are you sure he's dead? Oh, yeah. I made sure of that. Is he wearing a hat in the hat box? No, there's okay. no hat. There's no room. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's tight, tight quarters. Tight fit. Um, and But you like this movie. I do like that. I, I've not seen it since I was a child, but I remember it being, being so charmed by it. And I am not... A Melanie Griffith fan. Okay. But I will say there are roles Melanie Griffith is very good in. Working Girl, uh, the remake of Born Yesterday, though pales in comparison to the original Born Yesterday, she's still very good in it. I think this movie is perfectly tailored to her. He, like, said that the, she had the script that was her, you know, and that they just didn't have a director, and he was like, I'll do it. <laughs> um... You know what? They're in love. It's fine. Um, In 2003, he um, was on Broadway in the revival of Nine. Yes. Which is my least favorite. um, Is that the right words I'm saying? Least favorite? It's one of my worst, like, movie-going experiences in my life. Yeah, and we've talked about Nine before. I believe we talked about it during the Nicole Kidman episode. We all hate it. We hate it. Yeah. But it is funny, because I do wonder... I still think the movie would be bad, but I do wonder what the movie would have been like with Antonio Banderas instead of Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. I would like to be here. I would like to be there. I would like to be everywhere at once. I know that's a contradiction in terms and it's a problem. Especially when my body's clearing 40 as my mind is nearing 10. But, I mean, it gets a... It's a huge hit on Broadway. Yeah, absolutely. And he's in that cast with, like, Cheetah Rivera, 
And I'm trying to, there were some other people in that show. Yeah, I remember when they performed on the Tonys. He um, won a couple awards, was nominated for the Tony, um, and uh, he received the Rita Morena Ola Award for excellence from the Hispanic Organization of Latin Actors. Former subject, Rita Moreno. Oh, we love her so much. We do love her so much. It's around this time that he gets his hands on some Puss in Boots. Uh, and Puss in Boots debuts in the third Shrek, yes, I believe. Correct. Um, oh, Shrek 2 and Shrek the third. Oh, it is Shrek 2. Huh. Yeah. And Shrek I feel like after. I don't remember much about Shrek 2. Anyways. Yeah, me neither. Um, and it, he's so popular that they give him his own movie. Yeah. And he has said many times he's shocked that anybody would pay attention to him just for his voice. Yeah. That it is such a thing because of the accent, because of, that it would become such a thing in America that he would have this this voice that people want to hear uh, because he is a foreigner. But what's great um, is literally he now lays claim to, like, two of the world's most famous, like, swordsmen. Yeah, <laughs> You know? And he true. plays Puss in Boots with a lot of that same Zorro energy. Um but with maybe a little bit, a, a hint more mischievousness, yes, you know? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, I mean, he's so fucking funny. He really he's, is. He's so funny. I, I think the, I mean, I as I said, I don't remember much of the Shrek movies post the first one, um, but I would go as far as to say that the Puss in Boots movie is funnier than any of the sequels to Shrek. Really? Yeah. <laughs> You hit me in the head with a guitar? You, you, you're a woman? Oh. Whoa. I have to take a second to rewind a little bit in this rewind, because I cannot believe that I missed 2006's smash hit, Take the Lead, where he is a high school ballroom dancing t-shirt. Yes. Uh, uh, ba- based off a true story, have you ever seen the documentary Mad Hot Ballroom? The character that he plays is one of the people in that documentary. The people that made this film were like... We, you know, we want to tell this story. We want to tell it in a, a narrative film. They brought the script to him and he didn't even read it. He turned it down. Ugh. He was like, this sounds boring. So then they show, they got another meeting with him and they showed him the documentary and he was like, oh, let me read the script. So, um, this movie has everything. Okay. It has Alfre Woodard and it has a, Fucking, I love Alfre Woodard, a young Jenna Dewan. Um, and when I saw her, I was like, okay, bitch. Now, like, she was in every mid-aught dancing movie. Yep. Yaya DaCosta of America's Next Top Model fame is in this movie. Rufio. Rufio is in this movie. Speaking of Rufio, uh, do you want to know how old he was in this movie playing a teenager? 36. He was 31. Well, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, Laura Benanti is in this movie. Laura Benanti. Actual crazy person Laura Benanti, who um, I love. I love her. Yeah. Um, but again, it's... It's, he's, he's doing the like Latin thing, but, um, on a different level, on yeah. a very, on a, like, I, I'm a sucker for dance movies. This movie's not good, guys, but like, no. I remember I'm watching it in like middle school or no, was it middle school? It was 2006. I was in high school. Yeah. Um, I'd seen bits of it. I hadn't, I don't think I'd ever seen the full thing. And it's so funny because it really wants to, it, it doesn't know how to, to, to balance the fact that it, it's like, you know, like stand and deliver, dance and deliver, I guess would be the, oh. or, or dangerous minds, you know, dangerous feet. <laughs> dangerous feet. Exactly. It wants to have that grittiness and it can yeah. never quite achieve it because it is a very Hollywood. It, right. Well, it's also very family oriented. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I appreciate the fact that like there are moments when Alfred Wood, it's like, 
Honey, dancing's not gonna save these kids. They're just trying to put food on the table, okay? I get it. To do something, anything, is hard. It's much easier to blame your father, your mother, the environment, the government, the lack of money. But even if you find a place to assign the blame, it doesn't make the problems go away. I'm trying something new. I'm trying it. Oh, so now you're going to come to this school, tell us about our kids, our problems, and how you're going to fix them with a box step? No. I'm just going to show you. Uh, Agustin, please, could you? Mr. Delane, this is absurd. Augustine? Joe, shut up. It's my body. <laughs> so there's a lot of, like, reality, um, yeah. like, that undercuts a lot of the, like, silliness of it. But um, there's a lot of hot dancing, and I... There certainly is, and he's very good. He's very good. Yeah. Um... Anyway, moving on. I just had to for a little bit. Um, and uh, he gets his Hollywood Walk of Fame around the same time in 2005. Uh, it's not until 2011, though, that he reteams with Mr. Pedro Almodovar. Absolutely. Um, sprinkled in between. Uh, he's made a lot of movies. Yes. You know, most of them you've never heard of. And to be honest, we can't tell you about all of them. Because they're not released. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of them are direct to whichever you know at the time DVD. Like, I mean, they're they're he's prolific. It's not necessarily good. Well, it reminded me a lot, and I think we should discourse about this. Nicolas Cage. I was just thinking the same thing. It's they're obviously operating on different levels as actors, but in a lot of ways, they're very similar. I think they're both very charming when they want to be. I think they can both play very scary when they want to. Um, there is nothing more unsettling than when Antonio Banderas plays evil. Yeah. It's very scary, you know, um, because it, it, he's able to, like, seeing a face that charming and beautiful be that stoic and, um, like, murdery. It's, it's, it makes, I was like, stop, I don't like this. And they both have, tr- like, choose such weird, things for themselves um and I, I was thinking about like you know he makes all these movies like in bulgaria or wherever you know sometimes like five of them in a year yeah. that maybe one will get a limited release most of them will just like go to russia you know it's it's weird yeah he has the longest running um celebrity endorsement for a uh, a uh, cologne besides elizabeth taylor and he has over 20 cents in Russia. Yeah. He's the highest selling cologne and perfume in Russia. Yeah. And it is, it's bizarre. It's very bizarre. And it, it's, so leading uh, all that to say, he does The Skin I Live In in 2011, um, which is kind of a psycho movie. Yeah. But it, but it is a big moment for him because it's the big reteaming. But then he does, you know, he does work with a lot of, like, interesting directors in between. He does Haywire for Steven Soderbergh um, and starts sort of a relationship with him. He does uh, The Night of Cups with Terrence oh, Malick, right, 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 which right, no- right. neither of us are ever going to see. Nope. Um, How he- many episodes in a row will we talk about fucking yeah. Night of Cups? Jesus. I know. <laughs> um, he produces and stars in Justin the Knights of Valor, which is an animated film. Uh, which was a big deal for him since he was also producing, you know, and he does his final film with his, with his soon to be ex-wife, uh, Melly Griffith, uh, Automata. I saw that. Yeah, I saw it too. It's, 
I like it. Yeah, it's pretty to look at. Mm-hmm. I think that was what I liked about it the most. She's weird in it. She's yeah. miscast in it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and and so there's all these things he does. He plays the villain in SpongeBob movies, Sponge Out of Water. He plays Burger Beard, um, which I did not watch, but I did watch his clips. So he he is working and he's doing all these these weird things, and then he makes his his like I want to say it's basically like his last Hollywood awards push before going back to before his heart attack, which is the thirty three. Right, yeah. So 33 is is primarily a Chilean movie, but it is also a, a big Hollywood movie about the Chilean miners who got trapped. Um, he plays Chilean in it, um, as well as uh, famous Latin uh, actress Juliette Binoche, mm-hmm. uh, Latin actor James Brolin. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, Latin actor Gabriel Byrne. How could like, you forget? Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, why did they do this? Why did they do... And, like, the movie's not terrible. The movie's fine. And it's obvious that Patricia Riggin, who directed it, had, a, had like, a lot of... Um, love and passion for this story and she really wanted to present this story about brotherhood and everything but like this movie was like it came and went yeah like gobbledygook like it's it's not i don't know i was i was very upset about this movie you know julia binoche was originally supposed to be played by jennifer lopez and then she had to back out because of american idol wow yeah she apparently got the call she was doing a radio interview she got the call from her agent that she was cast in the movie. She answered the phone on the radio interview. Right. And then she said on the radio interview, she's like, oh, I just got cast in some little movie. Ah, some little movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, I just, I wanted to bring up the 33 because I wanted to point out that like, sometimes the best intentions are not what, you know, because I think this movie came, especially for all the people in it, came from a place of good. Like it right. was a, um heartfelt place but it is mostly garbage right i mean i think though for me i guess in all that time like it is it feels like he's lost yeah you know there's no really like clear well leading into the heart attack in 2017 he does like five movies about revenge yeah uh if you if on netflix right now if you type in his name it's like a bunch of like same nothing. Yeah. It's like bullets. Yeah. Taken, but Latino version. Black, Black Butterfly, Gunshy, Security, uh, Acts of Vengeance, Bullethead, The Music of Silence, which is not a revenge film. But, uh, but yeah. Imagine calling a movie Security. Yeah. <laughs> what could that movie possibly be about? I, I know. And, but that's the thing. And they all like, if you read the plot, they're all like the same thing. Like his wife is dead. His girlfriend is dead. He's a rock star. He's a security guard and someone is dead and he's out for revenge. The, the one I will admit, um, that I can't put as my one star review, but I was very close that, uh, I, uh, I turned it off five minutes in. It's a movie called Bullethead. Okay. And five minutes in, I realized it was a killer dog movie and I was like, no, thank you. Killer dog. Yeah. You want to know who his co-stars are in this movie, by the way? Yeah. It's everybody was slumming it that year. Adrian Brody. Is Morgan Freeman in this movie? No. Okay. That's that other movie. Then. It's Adrian Brody and John Malkovich. Wow. Yeah. They're all friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Made by Saban Films. Wow, Saban's really trying it, huh? <laughs> but yes, so in 2017, he has a heart attack. And also, like like I said, that that's six action movies, well, five action movies and one drama in the same year. I mean, he, he, he was bringing it on himself. 
he was burning out. Yeah. Um, and he admits he's made mistakes, that he's worked with a lot of the wrong people. I did some mistakes uh, in not choosing, but taking movies that I shouldn't have taken. But lately, I stopped doing that like three years ago, and I started going to different places. That, and that is the way that I'm going to continue. I don't care if they are little characters, I want to be with good people. People who have something interesting to say, and they're, they're cool, you know. And I didn't do that for a while. I, I, it was my mistake. I cannot put it in anybody. Uh, though I was not helped, but, uh, but it was my fault because ultimately I was the one who decided to do certain things. And I have to recognize that. But he has his heart attack. Yes. It's serious. He has three stents put into his heart. Um, and he's just been talking extensively about how it has changed his life. He talks about, you know, being this close to death has really made me think about, like, what's important. Made him think, like, you know, there are so many things that we care about as humans that are so stupid and silly and dumb. And you really just, I love being able to, like, see this new him in Pain and Glory. Yeah. Uh, So Pain and Glory is his now, it's now been eight eight years years since The Skin I Live In. This is his most current collaboration with Almodovar. He's talked about how he didn't get, like, he thought he was doing one thing on The Skin I Live In, and Almodovar was trying to direct him into another, and he's happy with how the performance came out, but it was completely different than what he wanted. And he realized that, like, Almodovar has his best interest at heart. You know, when he came to do Pain and Glory... He said, you know, here's all these things I've learned since I've been in Hollywood. Here's all these tricks and tips. and You know, all proud of all the work that I have done all of these years, the new things that I have learned as an actor. You know, I have new techniques. I I am more secure in front of the camera. I can use my voice in this way and this, blah, 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 blah. And I put all of those things on the table. And after we were rehearsing for about a week, he said to me, uh, Antonio, you know, all of those things that you have learned in America, they may be very useful for the things that you do in America, but they are not useful for me. <laughs> and, and he says uh, something, he made a question that was pretty much like, where are you? Pain and Glory just has like so many like reflections of their relationship. And um, uh, yeah, it's it's like you said, now we have this kind of new Antonio Banderas, who has said, though, he's like, my life, I would not change one comma of it. You know, like I have lived this very lucky, beautiful life. Um, but now I'm at a point where I am getting older and I have money to spend and I want to do good things and things that make me happy. And um, he also is right now in The Laundromat. Yeah, which uh, is on Netflix. Yes. But is a Steven Soderbergh film or I guess maybe it's a sketch show. I don't know. I watched it yesterday. I can't tell you what it was about other than bad economics like mm-hmm. it's hard it's another movie whose heart's firmly in the right place but boy is it not a thing it's really crazy seeing this arc of his career i am happy that he seems to like every interview he's done he seems to like have focus and this new kind of like calling to life and purpose uh and it's really nice to see because I wonder now if he's maybe just like, you know what? I'm done doing all those macho things. Um, and I, uh, I really can't wait to see what he does next. 
I think it's time to move into our picks. What should we do first? I think we don't do this very often, and I know I've been told people like it when we do our five our five star review second, but I think we should do our five star review first. Let's do it. My five star review is for Painting Glory. <laughs> you know, it's hard to argue. I mean, I saw this in theaters and I just was like, have I seen him be better? No, I really haven't. And it's in a mode that is just astounding. Yeah. He is charming, but soft. He's making um, really interesting decisions on screen. Um, there's like uh, one of the most like the beautiful but heartbreaking scenes is where he's talking to an ex-lover and they're just talking about like how their lives have gone. And, you know, he asks him, oh, are you seeing someone? And the lover is like, yeah. And he asks him and he's like, oh, oh no, no, no. And con el tiempo le contaré que eres tú. Es muy cinéfilo y no me lo perdonaría que no se lo dijera. ¿Tienes pareja ahora? Sí. ¿Y tú? No. The way he said it and like his eyes are kind of like welling up. You can tell he's like fighting this emotion. Um, and it's an astounding movie and yeah. an astounding performance. Um, and and you and if you have seen any of Almodóvar's films, you always know that there's like something coming. Yeah, like there's gonna be something. And you never quite know what it is in this movie until Absolutely. it happens. And it's just kind of like this beautiful gut punch of uh, sex and regret. And uh, um, family. And family. Oh, the yeah. conversation with his mom. And, and the past. Yeah. And the present. And how everything is coincidence, but oh, nothing yeah. is coincidence. Yeah. And, yeah, Almodovar, I said this after I got done seeing the movie, one of the most beautiful things about the way that he writes is he writes almost like it's a like a labyrinth mm-hmm. laid out before the audience, Yeah, and he knows the right directions. Yeah. And so he's just leading you through, and you've, like, there's something I like about Almodovar is I feel... Even in his more radical movies, I feel safe. Like, mm-hmm. I know that he... It's the thing that you were talking about, too, where, like, it's not... They're not message movies. They're mm-hmm. movies about life. And life is confusing, and it's complicated, and it's sad, and people make the wrong choices, and they make the right choices, and sometimes things don't turn out right until 40 years after they're... You know, they start. Yeah. And uh, But he always knows the right direction to move you in as an audience member and it's it's comforting in a weird way the story of this movie um is about um he plays salvador malo who is a director who has a lot of pain like physical and emotional pain it's like it's like loosely yet strongly based on almodovar himself yeah um antonio banderas will say that almodovar is too um humble or shy or doesn't want to admit that it as much as him as it is. Um, but we get, there's like two stories happening. You get a lot of flashbacks of him as a child. Um, and then him currently, he can't make any more movies. Um, and he, uh, is just kind of like stuck 
in, in, in this decline of his life, um, he runs into, um, old, you know, coworkers. He runs into an old lover. He, um, you know, goes and sees a, um, an actor who has, he has not talked to in years. Yeah. And they start up a relationship again. Um, and it's just kind of like these, I don't know, this, the sparks yeah. in this late, um, part of his life, um, to get back to work. And, and also, like, all, all along the while, he's searching for something that will take the pain away. Mm-hmm. And that's both physical and metaphysical. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, I like to, I mean, the labyrinth thing is very good. I always thought, like, his movies were like jigsaw puzzles. And it's like he's slowly turning over each piece. And just when you think you know what the picture is, it changes. Um, and this movie is, I mean, oh, Penelope Cruz is also in this movie. Yeah. And she's amazing. Yeah, she really is. And just the way that Antonio is directed, because he is playing this composite of, of both this friend that he's had for years, but also this character that's been invented that, uh, has these, these strong regrets about his life and not always regrets either, but these strong opinions about who he is and who he wants to be and the person he can't be anymore. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, it's fascinating. I mean, it's a, it's, the, the funny thing is, is I think everything that we just described would make it sound like it's, it's just, just a plain old character study, but it's so much more than that. Yeah. I know. I mean, the, the amount of story they get through yeah. is uh, incredible. Yeah. And by the time you get to the middle of the movie, you're like, wait, what this, this movie's about this now? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it it's seems really like fascinating. It's, it's like a deeply personal movie and I can't imagine anyone else playing this role. Yeah. Um, especially, I mean, it's a personal movie to Almodovar. And so he's known, you know, discovered um, Antonio and they've worked together for, you know, now 40 years. Um, I can't imagine anyone else, you know, kind of, I can only imagine the conversations they were able to have yeah. and figuring out, you know, really the inner workings of everything going on in um, this character's head. Um, there's a lot of beauty in this movie. So it should probably come as no surprise at this point Then my five-star review is also Pain and Glory. It is what it is. It genuinely, I left that film thinking I've not seen Antonio Banderas be better in a movie either. And it is a beautiful synthesis of direction and acting. Uh, You mentioned the scene in which he meets his former lover, which was maybe the first time I cried in the movie. Second time I cried in the movie was he has this very impassioned conversation, remembered conversation with his mother about the way that he's disappointed her in his life. Yeah. And that like ruined me. And it's not. And and so there's like two things happening. It's like, uh, you know, uh, Salvador is a gay man. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, it's also he's a, a man of ambition and, you know, talks about how he didn't really hang out with his mom enough yeah. or a lot because he wanted to go have a career and he, right. he and wanted, she really felt it was his responsibility to take care of her because she took care of him. Yeah. And, and they have this like reckoning. Yeah. Um, and it's a sight to be seen. And what's interesting too is that, Almodovar's favorite thing is is classic Hollywood cinema, and you know you would think that with all these this petit towards melodrama that it would somehow slip into that, and it never does. Absolutely not. It never does. It's such a amazing. I know we've used about a billion metaphors at this point, but it's such an amazing high wire act to watch. You know, um, but uh, if you can find a way to go see Pain and Glory, please 
please do. Yeah. It's also Elmodovar's use of color. I mean, nobody else is allowed to use the color red anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just nope, him. Just him. And uh, it really shows through in that film. Uh, I guess before we move into our one star reviews, then was there anything else that you saw that you particularly liked? Um, I feel like we're just going to go through Elmodovar's catalog. <laughs> um. So of like the early things I liked, um, women on a ver- ver- yeah, nervous breakdown a lot. Yeah, I think he's used to great effect um, in that film. Yeah, he's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of, like, other things that are not on the watch. I, I know. And and there are other... There are genuinely... I, I really love Puss in Boots. I'm not joking. I actually think the, the first Puss in Boots movie is hilarious. And I I mean, there's so much to love in it. Um, and there's the, that cat that goes, ooh. And yes. <laughs> love, yeah. Um, so... I, I'm not sure, but uh, in terms of Amadovar, I, um, I, I really love Labyrinth of Passion, and I fucking love Matador, um, and um, Time Me Up, Time Me Down is not my favorite of, of that cycle, but I do like it, I especially really like, and I wish I could remember the critic's name, and please, if you are listening to this and you know this, um, please write in and tell me the critic who said that the movie is a good farce about heteronormativity about how like you know this one character believes that like he has to find a wife and he has to have kids and so like he will go to any extreme lengths and so he basically traps this woman and indoctrinates her into yeah. this heteronormative way of thinking and then like it's just heartbreaking at the end of the movie that film compared to the skin i live in yeah what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, what the fuck? Yeah. What is going on in your brain? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they both have kidnapping and like forced love yeah. situations going on. Um, very psycho. How do you feel about Desperado? Uh, I like fine. it. I like it. Yeah. It's fine. I think it does. Uh, start that like machismo for mm-hmm. him. It starts that like, which is funny because he's not even like super mask for mask in that movie. I mean, anytime that he does anything that's like super crazy action, Selma Hayek's there right along with him. Yeah. So if you're going to be like, oh, it's the men, like it's the women too. They both walk away from that explosion. Uh, right. So, yeah. Um, but the, I, I like, I like some of his, his Rodriguez output. Um, yeah, I mean, I do, but I do genuinely think it's funny just to get into a small brief conversation. You know, he does these films in Almodovar, these very queer films, and then he comes to America and he starts working with Rodriguez, who's like very mask, very yeah. like, like guns and whatnot. And there's a lot of this early 90s stuff where homophobia permeates these films. Um, there's this movie called Miami Rhapsody that is a Sarah Jessica Parker romantic comedy that she's actually very good in. Um, and he like, he seduces both her mother and her, her mother's played by Mia Farrow. Um, but the running gag is that his mom thinks he's gay cause he's not married. Right. And so there's this weird like thing about him being gay in the movie. There's this boxing movie he does in 1999 called play it to the bone with Lee Harrelson, where he admits that he like had a relationship with a man or many men for a year after he and Woody Harrelson keeps being like you're a fag you're a fag and the thing that like gets him going at the end during their big boxing match is like when he's down he's almost down and out he hears echoing in his head you know like you ever hear that expression a man can build a thousand bridges and suck one dick to the world he's not a bridge builder he's a cocksucker you got it he's a cocksucker you okay 
smash his face, smash his face. That's like what gets him up. And I was just like, what is this weird homophobia? And it's all all directed at Antonio Banderas. Like, so I don't know. There's this weird like dichotomy of who he is in Hollywood that he has to be all man and all straight man. Right. And then in Spanish, he's allowed to be fluid. fluid. Yeah. And, I mean, well, like, in, and it's not seen as a negative. Right. In America, though, like, you can't be the Latin lover and right. be gay. You right. can't, like, you know, they, they want the man strong and virile and just, you know, um, it, it's very stupid. It's all very stupid. So that's probably it for our five star reviews. Also, Spy Kids. Oh, Spy Kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spy Kids. Yeah, I'm fine with that. That's, yeah, those are a good collaboration with Rodriguez. Um, you know, it's no Shark Boy and Lava Girl. But, uh, <laughs> how could it be? How could anything be? Uh, so I guess that's it for our five star reviews. Let's go into our one star reviews. I am going to maybe make a controversial pick. Okay. I and to be fair, I did not watch a lot of the what we will know is trash. But I went for all the hits, and I gotta say, my one star review is Avita. Wow! 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 wow. <laughs> Number one. I feel like it doesn't register enough for me to hate it. Like it's bad, but it's not terrible. I don't. Number one. <laughs> is Avita good? <laughs> An essay by Luis Rendon. The musical itself. I was just like, huh, this is what Evita is. I think for most people that are not theater queens, you probably know Don't Cry For Me Argentina. If you're maybe a little bit of a theater queen, you might know Buenos Aires. Right. And that's it. Uh, Fun fact. I was once in a production of Evita. I had, uh, I was in the chorus. I had many lines. I was in many songs. I was in Good Night and Thank You, which is when all the men sleep with Evita. But I had one solo line, which is, and you've just discovered an ally who looks as secure in his job as you. Wow. Thank you. Dramatic reenact. Where is your Tony? I know. Shocking. Um, So Evita is a pop opera musicale. It's all sung through, which I did not know. The Andrew Lloyd Webber musical with lyrics by Tim Rice. Yes. Um, it, uh, it's, know- it's about the rise and fall of Ava Peron, who was the first woman of Argentina, uh, when her husband Juan Peron took over and was essentially a dictator. He but was. It, but it starts off as, you know, she's a woman of no means. She's the, she wants the to like illegitimate daughter of, of a man and she wants to get out of her small town. She goes to Buenos Aires. She becomes a commercial girl on the radio. Juan Peron sees her, sweeps her off her feet, quote unquote. Right. And, uh, you know, takes her around the world and she's very charming. She's, she's the, you know, the Princess definition Dye. of, yeah, she's the definition of a charm offensive. Like, yeah. And so the movie, Madonna plays Evita. And I think Madonna's fine, you know? Yeah. She's not bad. She's not great. She's, Madonna. Yeah. It, and, and the movie, though, plays out like a long music video. Yeah. And the way it's shot, I was like, oh, Madonna has music videos look exactly like this. Yeah. Um, very theatrical, but like just like crazy um, shots and like the directions is kind of like very, I don't know. It's very unnatural. Yeah. It's Alan Parker, right? Which is funny because I think what people thought he was going to bring to it was a grittiness because he's the man who directed Fame and he does the opposite. It's completely opposite. There's nothing. I mean, it 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 almost looks exactly like Les Misérables, where it's just like very musical, like very. If you the the very classic idea of like a musical on the screen would look like, yeah. Um, in in that time, it's that. Um, it's very nineties. Uh. 
Which is funny because the '90s is not a time that's really thought of as no. like the musicals. Like it, we've talked about this before, especially in our Cole Kidman episode, where musicals really don't come back into the popular culture until Moulin Rouge. So Avita yeah. is this weird '90s anomaly. Yeah, and I mean, this movie—it almost feels like it came to life through sheer will power, you know, yeah, like through Madonna's willpower, and it like was shopped around to like every distributor and like um, company out there to get it made um it was the screenplay was also uh, it was alan parker but also oliver stone yeah so antonio banderas though plays che yes who is the like essentially the greek chorus yeah a one-man greek chorus he's he's also slightly a che guevara stand-in right. which is interesting um the movie doesn't do much with it which i actually sometimes prefer because i think it's really weird i've seen productions where they've done Just Che Guevara. Full. Yeah, done full Che Guevara. And I'm che like, drag. Um, and it's, I, I, too, and I don't know how I feel about saying this, but like, can Antonio Banderas sing well enough to do this role? Uh, I think he can. Have you never heard him do Phantom of the Opera? No. Oh. Sing one second with me, our strange I, I don't think anybody's voice uh, is is that. I think is, the role is very challenging. Yes. I think the, the role is very challenging. I don't know if, like, the director told him what to do. It's like bad. He's, I feel yeah. like he's very badly directed. Yeah. He's. I don't think he was right for Che. I'll be honest. He's, yeah. like, looking in the camera sometimes, but then he's, like, in it at other times. And it's very unnatural because he's the only one. And there's no, like, frame for the movie. Yeah. Like, he is the frame, which is very weird because it's not, he's not, like, camping it up. Right. He's in there. And so you're kind of like, what the fuck? Why is this one guy singing at me um, and telling me story while also, like, calling Ava Prone a bitch? Right. When the money keeps rolling in, you don't ask how. Think of all the people guaranteed a good time now. And he is. Like, that's his function. That's his function. He's like, everyone fucking loved her, but, like, check this shit out. Yeah. Guys. It's, yeah. He's the gossipy queen. He's, yeah. He's like XOXO. Yeah, exactly. He's Che. He, he's the Wendy Williams of the... He's like, so I heard... Of Argentina. Yeah, exactly. Okay? <laughs> yeah, I I watched this movie and I was like, it's one, still going on. Yeah. I cannot believe it's, it's very long. It's still happening. Hours. Yeah. Um, and he just feels very, very wrong in multiple ways that, uh, and, and I, and I think because he's so like caught up in doing the, the dancing and singing that there's no like acting happening really. Yeah. Um, and it's, I always also think it's like, it takes me a little bit out of a movie when I'm seeing a movie that's in this like Latin culture and everyone else has like a crazy, like whatever faux British accent. And then there's him with his accent. Same thing happens in Zorro when like half of them are doing Mexican stereotypes and then Catherine Zeta Jones is doing whatever the fuck she's doing. And then he's doing his Spanish, his regular Spanish accent. And it's just like, I don't know what is happening. Um, I could be very wrong, but this is the movie that I watched and that I really thought, man, he is not right for this. I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think it's great, but I don't think you're wrong. Yeah. Uh, um, excellent. 
Thank you. Gavin, what's your one-star review? My one-star review is 2010's The Big Bang. The Big Bang. Yeah. I don't know it her. Sounds like you didn't watch it. I don't know her. You saved yourself some time. Uh, it's 101 minutes. How dare. And it's uh, essentially what it is is it's uh, it's wants to be a film noir um, with Antonio Banderas in the role of the detective. And he's a private investigator trying to find uh, Sienna Gilroy's character, Lexi Parisimon. Um and at the same time, Sam Elliott, whom I also love, <laughs> is this billionaire who's obsessed with finding the God particle, which <laughs> would re, you know, create the exact situation which the universe may have been formed. There's this big mystery. There's all these characters. James Vanderbeek's in it. James Vanderbeek's in this? Yeah. Um, Ned, the, the Ned Cruz, Antonio Banderas' character, begins to worry that this Lexi doesn't actually exist. They named this man Ned? Yeah. Right. Um, and like, it's, so what it is, what makes it so bad is, first of all, the plot's almost incomprehensible. Okay. Um, it is, it is genuinely filled with like, bit actors that I love, by the way. Um, um I see Autumn Reister on here. Yeah, Autumn Reister. I famously just rewatched all of the OC. That's and- true, you did. <laughs> But William Fickner's in this movie. Delroy Lindo's in this movie. Aforementioned Sam Elliott. Jimmy Simpson's in this Snoop movie. Snoop Dogg. Yeah, Snoop Dogg for a scene playing character named Puss. Um, I, bet you that, I bet they thought they were so clever. He's a porno director. And Antonio Banderas' character at one point has to be like, uh, I didn't realize your name was actually Puss. <laughs> like, He's like, uh, yeah. Um, My mom but, loved cats. But the the... The insane thing about this movie is not only does it so hard want to be a film noir, it also is a 101-minute physics lesson. Oh, All of the characters are talking about theoretical physics throughout the movie 100% of the time. So much so, James Vanderbeek's character is an actor who has a albino dwarf manservant that he has sex with women with. And at one point... Uh, Antonio Banderas comes to his house to blackmail him. And as Antonio, like the James Vanderbeek storms off to the second floor, this dwarf follows him. And as Antonio Banderas is leaving the house, the, the dwarf is launched from the second floor window on fire. On fire. And all this happens just so Antonio Banderas can later use the line. Who's the crispy midget? It's astrophysics. Right, sir. Astrophysics. His name is Russell. He's a white dwarf gone supernova. <sighs> and it's just like, why did they make this movie? You ever set up a joke, honey? Yeah, it's all... There are some beautiful shots in the movie. It's all very clearly style over substance. I think my main problem is, you know, especially around this time period, uh, 2015... Or, sorry. Especially around this time period, 2010, 2011... Uh, uh, Ryan Johnson had made his movie Brick in the early 2000s, which is a film noir set in a high school. I think one of the brilliant things Ryan Johnson did with Brick is sort of expose how childish <laughs> film noirs can be, which is not to say there's some really great film noirs. You know, I love Double Indemnity and I love Laura. And, but like there, there's a childish quality of them because they, they have a very black and white understanding of everything. And this movie doesn't get that. And then when you add a layer of theoretical physics, 
which is as far from black and white as you can possibly get. And poor Antonio, who, you know, I've heard him in interviews over and over again talk about his accent, talk about being shy about speaking English and, you know, not enjoying the experience of having this accent, being heavily accented. He has more dialogue in this movie than I want to say all of his films combined. And they're these long speeches about science. No. No. There's nothing enjoyable. There's no character here. There's no character in any of these people. They are all just like talking mouthpieces, making jokes about particle physics. Well, you know. I can't believe this movie was made. This is one of those movies that makes me so mad that it exists because I was like, I want to make movies. Why does this get made? Well, maybe if you put some particle physics in your films. I should. Because when I think of action, thriller, suspense, I think science, (laughs) physics. Uh, But yeah, it is so bad. And Antonio Banderas should have known, but he should have read the script. I, I, I just wonder if he like looked at the script and was like, oh, this is clever. Well, I mean, but that's the thing though. Like there are a lot of these movies of that time period where it's like, what are you doing? Cause these aren't even like big blockbusters anymore. This is just like random shit. Right. Tagline of this movie, by the way, the search for the ultimate missing person ends at the beginning of time. There's no time travel in this movie or anything. It's just theoretical physics. What? I, I mean, it almost looks like I'm, I'm, uh, it looks like some sort of, it looks like a fake poster that you would see in an episode of <laughs> 30 Rock. Yes. You know? But that's that's the thing, you know, I, I I would ask you if there was any other things that you saw that, you know, you didn't particularly like. But I feel like we 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 knew we kind of like, we knew. like once again, 2017, he does five action movies, Black Butterfly, Gunshy, Security, Acts of Vengeance and Bullethead. I would recommend none of these films, and I didn't see them. No, I watched right. five minutes of Bullethead and turned it off. No, and, and like, he's also, we didn't mention, he's in the Expendables, yes, like, franchise. The, the third one. Um, he, yeah, it's, it seems very bizarro. Yeah. I, uh. I genuinely don't, and a part of it is, and he, like I said, he's admitted to making mistakes in Hollywood. Part of it is Hollywood doesn't know how to use him. Right. They have this very small correct window that they think that he is and that's all he can be. And the part the other part of it is I don't think he pushes hard enough to be like I'm not just that thing. Right. Um we did not talk one lick about Ballistic X versus Server. No. I I'll give the real reason Ballistic X versus Sever could never be my one star review is there is not even enough character in anybody for me to be like they're bad at what they're doing. And you know what? Actually, Lucy Liu's kind of bad in it, and I like her. I was but... gonna say I would love to see a movie with Lucy Liu and Antonio Banderas yeah. in it, but not that one. Not that one. Um, and it's funny because we talked a little bit about Automata. Um. I think he's actually pretty good in that movie. Yeah, he is. I, and and it's because that movie is not requiring him to do any macho, you know, he's an actual human being. He's a yeah. character. There's something there for him to, like, explore. Um, even if the movie doesn't, like, completely work in the end. Uh, my big problem with the movie is, is it's curbing from so many better science fiction movies, stealing a lot from Isaac Asimov with the laws of robotics, yep. you know, the iRobot sort of thing, which is not me saying the movie iRobot is good, but... Um, it's stealing a lot from Blade Runner. You yep. know, it's taking it's taking these better movies and trying to make a, a plot out of them. And it's like, I've seen this done better. But the robots are great and they're not CG. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah, they're I, puppets. My name is Jack Vogue. 
code 443441. This is a direct order, and I want you to execute it. So turn around now and take me to the city. Sorry, Mr. Falcon. The city is not safe for any of us. You have been altered. Where the hell are you going? To a safer place. You must save your energy. Please sit here. I think if you're going to see one movie on Netflix with him in it, like, I would pick that one. Is that yeah. on Netflix? It might be on Netflix. It might be on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Either way, like, that one's easy to find. And it's really interesting. And it's 2014. So it's, it, it, it like, at least like a spark of, like, there is something still there. And yeah. he wants to do interesting things. If only people would give him things to do. Yeah. And if only he had the sense to turn down the shitty things that people give to him. Um, because for a long while... Seems like he didn't. Yeah. I think he's headed that direction, though. <laughs> yeah. Thank the Lord. Which, you know, I think is a good place for us to move into our fast forward. So he is in Pain and Glory right now. Absolutely. Um, what he's working on right now is he just bought a theater. <laughs> he did. And I love what he has said about it. So the first production they're doing is... Uh, chorus line. After the heart attack, I just, one of the things that came to be very stupid is money. And uh, I just realized that money is nothing but an intellectual diabolic process in your brain. <laughs> and uh, But a theater is something that you can touch, that you can see, that you can use. You can have people there expressing things. And, uh, and so I bought a theater. I... I don't want to make money with it. It's a non-profit organization that I put together. It's linked to a school where I have 600 students um, that they do not only just the academics, the normal studies, but at the same time in the afternoons and evenings they do scenic arts. They, they learn how to dance, how to sing, how to perform and, and, and act. And so we are going to have a second theater there. Uh, we are going to open on the 19th of November. And the the, I chose a chorus line because a chorus line reflect about us, reflect about dreams and the sacrifice to obtain those dreams. And it changed the paradigm of Broadway in 1975. When Broadway reflected until that time about, about itself, the reflection was more, you know, uh, a star has been born, 42nd Street, singing in the rain, I mean, somebody comes to town and at the end is triumphant. You know, it comes from nothing to be triumphant. But a chorus line change and just focus on those people that are behind, that are not stars, but they are the ones who sustain the industry. I think it just opened. It opened like yes. two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think November 13th. If, yes. you, if you guys are in Spain, please go check it out. Report I'm, back to I us. I was going to say, please tell us how it is because I, I genuinely want to know. We need boots on the ground reporting. On top of that, he is certainly not slowing down for film. Uh, he has, he's in the new Disney Doolittle movie with Robert Downey Jr. Christ on a cracker. Yeah. He's in this movie called Lamborghini the Legend, the Legend with Alec Baldwin. He's in, going to be in the sequel to the Hitman's Bodyguard, which is the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which is too complicated of a name. Um, also, he's in Development Hell with the rest of the cast of New Mutants. He was in the movie New Mutants, which may never come out because it got lost in the Disney Fox shuffle because Fox also didn't want to release it because it sounds like it's bad. And so, yeah, and it's funny because I've been thinking about this. 
why hasn't one of these not that i want to see everybody get involved in a franchise but we just did Kate blanchett she yep. was great in thor ragnarok she you know got her money and she's she's out like why has one of these franchises not gotten a hold of him right and he's it, so good like it yeah, would make sense i would like oh, he'd be like great as like the watcher yeah you know oh my god like he would be great as the watcher yeah um I tried to like find who he plays in New Mutants. It's, he's not. No one knows. Not built. There's there were rumors that maybe he was <laughs> Mister Sinister. Do you also? I was trying to think like, if what if he was like the voice of Warlock? Oh, that'd be neat. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. Just do the. Full... He has such a distinctive voice that yeah. I, you know. Um, what am I looking for from him in the future? I would love, obviously, for him to continue to do more movies of the Amadovar. However, Amadovar doesn't make as many movies as he used to for yeah. the simple reasons in pain and glory that he is in a lot of pain. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he can't do that forever. Right. Um, do I necessarily need to see him in more Rodriguez films? No. Um, so I think I just need him to find another working companion, uh, that he, he can really play off of like, uh, somebody that can push him in the, in the directions he needs to be, you know, and he's worked with a lot of famous directors. He's worked with Soderbergh multiple times. He did You'll Meet a Tall Dark Stranger with Woody Allen. Um, so he has these working partners that that could, you know. Right. I would love to see him, like, in this new energy of, like, uh, this, with this theater stuff, I would love to see him, like, continue to be a steward for um, more weird art and yeah. like interesting and specific and singular to his experience for Antonio specifically like that his career seems very singular yeah. you know like I don't think that there's a lot of people who have had quite the success and like the range of stuff that he's done because um, even in Sel- uh, Selma's case she like she hasn't made a lot of um, like movies back in Mexico right you know um, he you know, has this huge, like the track record of his Spanish films and his American films are pretty sturdy, you know, like, and, and he has these connections and, um, I would just love for him to, um, keep pushing that and find like a project he loves and really, uh, I mean, cause he, he, he really is in the prime of his career, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Which is like crazy, crazy because you know, he, I don't know. The the heart attack thing scares me because I don't want to lose Antonio Banderas. Uh, but you're right. I think I think if he continues in that direction of of like really working and helping those the younger people and like really lifting them up and as well as doing the weirder stuff and the, the I stuff. would love for another comedy from him. Yes, I think yeah, he's yeah. so funny. But it has to be a good comedy because I watched some really bad romantic <laughs> comedies from the nineties. So. Um, you know, I want to see like a romantic comedy with him and like Jane Fonda. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Oh, absolutely. That's what I want to see. I would see. love that. I'd be curious to see what he does, especially since he he's admitted, you know, even though he does have a, a bunch of things on the horizon, uh, a, a sort of slowing down for him. Right. Uh, because of physicality stuff. And I mean, I'm <laughs> sure he's going to be, you know, now that he, he's mentioned he's slowed down, I, th- I think, he, you know, he'll probably be spending time with his kids and he'll probably, you know... I think there's a lot left in him. Yeah. And I think it's, um, it's exciting to see. I mean, who knows? So he's, 
firmly in the thick of yeah. this Oscar uh, race season. Absolutely. And um, he's still gorgeous, too. Still <laughs> gorgeous. Yeah. And I can't wait to see what's next. Me neither. And I don't think we've seen the last of him yet. <laughs> Not this girl. She's still kicking. <laughs> She's still kicking. Those those stints? Yeah, exactly. Three ain't nothing, baby. I'm about to do some stunts. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that wraps up beautiful... Wonderful, Antonio. I feel like this is also a very good, like, primer for our eventual Almodovar yes, episode. Yes, abso- absolutely. Um, uh, I still have so many to watch. I, th- I, It just amazes me, that type of collaboration, that type of closeness. And just, like, I mean, Almodovar clearly is somebody who, who knows Antonio Banderas inside and out. Yeah. Um, and I think vice versa. Yeah. Um, but anyways... That brings us to the conclusion of this episode of The Mixed Reviews. And you can find us online by tweeting at us. We're on Twitter at, at The Mixed Reviews. We're on Facebook. Just type in The Mixed Reviews. You can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. Absolutely. Under uh, the underscore mix underscore reviews. And you can listen to us just about anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. You can do Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Google Play Music. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. A nice little five-star review would be wonderful. And uh, we'll read them on the show. We actually got a couple more. And so I'll read them in the next episode. Um, And yeah, make sure to hit Twitter. We'll put up our poll soon. Absolutely. Participate. Democracy, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Democracy dies in the dark. Let your voice be heard. Hear the children sing. Um, Good night and thank you, Antonio. Padre de todos los niños. God, kill me. <laughs> no one come for me for my Evita slander. I don't think anybody is, except for Madonna herself. Yeah, Madonna will write in. Um, but thanks, guys, for listening, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Absolutely. Bye. Bye-bye. Soy un hombre muy honrado, que me gusta lo mejor. A mujeres no me falta ni el dinero ni el amor. Gineteando en mi caballo, por la sierra yo me voy. Las estrellas y la luna ellas me dicen dónde voy. Ay, 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 ay. Ay, ay, mi amor, ay, mi morena de mi corazón. Me gusta tocar guitarra, me gusta cantar el son. Mariachi me acompaña cuando canto mi canción.